0: welcome to episode 81 of full metal rpg i'm your host richie buzzkill and this episode is brought to you by nicholas gravina and all the other patrons over at patreon.com slash full metal rpg if you would buy us a beer please consider giving us your patronage thank you all right. Uh, so I'm here with uh, Ashley. How are you doing, Ashley?
1: I'm doing fantastic. I'm very tired.
0: Yeah, okay. you just got back from an amazing vacation by I the did. pictures. So. I was
1: gone for a whole week, so now I have to recoup for a couple hours before I go back to work now.
0: Perfect. Yeah, yeah. No, Living it on the uh, rock and roll lifestyle. Like,
1: yeah, it was great.
0: <laughs> we we got uh, uh, the legendary, because we've talked about him a whole lot on this show over and over again. I don't know if you've been listening, Michael Collette. Uh welcome to the show!
2: Finally, oh, thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. We're excited. Been on the been on the edges for a long time, playing uh, a lot of games a lot of events with Fullman RPG, and I'm just flattered and honored that you would invite me uh, to come on tonight's show. Thank you. Oh
0: well, we're g- happy to have you. Do you want to maybe give us a little uh, a little bit of your bona fides, a little bit of your uh, your role playing background? Uh, sure. I
2: I think it, if we if we put a number on it, the uh, you could say well. His background is like the number two background whenever somebody asks that question here on on podcast. I started in uh in the eighties, uh, with the red box set and the satanic panic. I remember my uh was forbidden and I was given it given that red box set on the down low and I kept it in secret and we, <laughs> we played at school uh at lunchtime and uh, it made it a whole lot of more interesting and appealing I think than that my, I might have been playing more sports or something if it hadn't have been so forbidden. But yeah, that's basically, I've been playing ever since the 80s. And nice. And on. Kept it in the woods with your porn mags? <laughs> yes, underneath them. So okay. They, <laughs> okay. It was even worse than the <laughs> porn mags yes. in the 80s.
0: Nice. Well, we also got Willie B. back with us.
2: Hey, you glad doing? to
3: be here. Yeah, happy to be recording with my friendos here. Uh, ready to roll out another episode, 81, in fact. All right. Well, uh... You know, we're we're uh we're freestyling
0: tonight a little bit, but uh I I kind of want to ask ask Ashley if you want to talk about anything, maybe your vacation again, I guess. But oh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh hi- hi- what do you want to highlight? That's what I'm I'm What would okay. I like to
1: highlight? Yeah. Um yeah, I was in Cancun for a week. Um you guys know this, but the listeners don't, but I'm a scuba diver, so I went to Cancun oh. and I got to scuba dive with um In underground rivers, which was pretty cool. So it's like you're basically in a cave. Like picture you're in a cave and it's flooded and you're swimming through it so it was pretty cool and every once in a while we'd pop up and there were like bats flying around and stuff so it was it was pretty awesome wow
3: Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm gonna have to break in here this yeah. show is about fake adventures not real ones yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: hold on
1: yeah so I'm like I know this isn't uh, full metal scuba diving or full metal Ashley's travels but that's uh, actually when we get to what, we're, what we've been playing that has kept me from playing anything for the past yeah. two weeks because I've been vacationing yeah. in the Yucatan Peninsula
0: okay well, well but definitely. you've been having adventures that will inform your future adventures so yes. that's pretty awesome
1: Yes, absolutely. So,
0: What would you like to highlight, uh, Mr. Collette?
1: Well,
2: I've been really excited about my Lunkmar complete set coming in. So, oh, yes, yeah, DCC. So I've, been, I've been buried in that and then uh, getting ready for some running some of those sessions by hitting the books and the audio books of the fall for gray mouser that's what mostly i've been up to lately
0: okay well that's that sounds awesome like have you uh kind of flipped through the all the all you got your hands oh, yeah. finally on it have you been like getting them all through there have you found like which adventure you're going to start with or yeah, i'm
2: going to start at number zero just go work my way through it the uh the other things i've been doing because i i don't want to i don't want to just jump right in I'm, there's so much material you don't want to just start at book one and start reading it so i've been like a kid at Christmas, flipping through all the various ones. And I've even been going back through some of the old uh, AD&D, what was it, the uh, De- Deities and demigods, and looking at the, comparing the, the breakdowns. But nice. I, I guess one other thing I've been excited about is doing the, some play tests with Brendan's Ravenous game. So, well, we'll t- we'll we don't talk don't about talk what about you're, about you're that, playing. But, a, but are it, well,
0: my one question about Lankmar Zero, is it a funnel?
2: No, the funnels are gone. Oh, interesting. Uh, I know a lot of people had strong feelings about that, but there's uh the funnels Discord are gone. scored
3: in the DCC community. Yes.
0: <laughs> oh, that's that's all the time, as far <laughs> as I can tell. Like you're not you're not painting your van the right shade of wizard. <laughs> like, <laughs> like. Uh...
3: So Willie, uh, what do you what do you want to highlight this uh, this episode? Oh, just yeah. Aside from the review uh, of uh, the uh, folklore and horror storytelling game that I'll throw out later in the episode, I was just uh, talk about. I finally got around to something I bought three to four months ago. The uh, starter set for the warhammer fantasy role-playing game mm-hmm. uh kind of surprised you know got into it it's like it's very uh, well done uh goes deeply into the area of the old world that that uh that they're uh looking at with a lot of uh, actually underlying politics and in, in addition to all the weird the weirdness that it is warhammer uh-huh. with uh, chaos and other things, but it does a really good job of of setting it up for GM. Basically, after reading it, I wanted to run it, which is a pretty good uh, standard, even though the system's a a D10 type system, which is not really usually my wheelhouse, but it's uh, uh, very well done. I'm I'm interested to see how it'll actually work in action. But I think there's a lot of pieces and and NPCs that will basically engage the players, uh, you know, just basically through the depth and basically, you know, the description, that allows the GM to basically uh, run it, bring it to life. So, so are you going to bring that to
0: your, Is that going to be the next thing you're going to run, or are you going to run this uh, fairy tales game? Uh,
3: probably, uh, probably uh, Warhammer. I think that when we get into the get into Beyond the Firelight, uh, the storytelling game, it would be very. It's very very non-crunchy, very storyteller or focused, uh, and it would be. I you know, i all discussed. I kind of want to basically run this. I would not run this for just strangers. I basically want to run with this run this with people that I know that are very much into that type of thing. So, okay.
0: Well, that sounds awesome. I mean, uh, going to be excited to hear about your adventures. And speaking of adventures, I actually uh, it ventured across this uh, great vast city of ours over to Imperial Outpost uh, for a painting class. One of my friends, uh, Yeji, she came down from, from uh, Las Vegas, and she was teaching painting classes she's a for a, miniatures for miniatures oh. yeah okay. and, and uh so i was really excited about that but i'm also excited to go over to imperial outpost because i can always find a gem in their stocks of roll. fantastic role-playing. story it yeah. just the bookshelves are just so chef's kiss yes <laughs> Uh, this time I found, and I ha- I've heard of this book for a long time, but I haven't ever seen a physical copy of it. So I figured, mm-hmm. figured it was time to pick this up. So this is, uh, the Romance Trilogy by Emily Carrabos, oh. uh, and it's a, uh, it's three two player role-playing games about romance. So the central, like the first, I haven't read too deeply in it yet, but this is one of those hyper indie uh very highly uh recommended books by a lot of people even if you're not going to run it, it it's got great treaties uh, treatises about romance and and that genre of uh storytelling which is a vast genre that we barely even touch in this day and age in role-playing games and the first uh game is uh basically you play the first three dates of someone's relation their two people's relationship so you're trying to figure out uh how you fit together and what your skeletons in your past and how those uh, affect each other and so forth and so on and interesting and it's got a uh, you know it's got a, a who's who on the back of recommendations. I I think it's really interesting. It's it's a rather old book. the uh, The first couple the the three games were kind of produ- published in like 2006, 2007, 2008, and then it was kind of collected in like 2011 and revamped a little bit. So. It's kind of a, for for games nowadays, it's kind of an oldie but a goodie, I guess.
2: I'm looking at at the back here. It says that your book has 30 variant rules, new settings, includes the Let's Be Friends. I'm wondering if it has a a, a, wow. a, a solo play. <laughs> I think solo variant rules. It
0: does not have play. solo variant rules. I it's think you have to make those up kind of for yourselves. Yeah, so, yes, <laughs> hacking
3: that, but riffing off that. Yeah, what he said was basically yeah. It kind of sounds like the th- first three dates of someone's relationship. I mean, is this sort of a uh, it's funny when it happens to someone else genre? Uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's supposed to be you're exploring,
0: you know, relationships amongst people, and and I think initially, if if it's a man and woman playing the first game, I think they recommend you cross play. So you're oh, the man oh, plays cool. the woman, the woman plays the man. So okay, so just as man. an interesting, they they it's a it's a very you know hippie indie game very out there but i think it's a, it's a subject matter that we do not get enough of mm-hmm. in uh games so is this
3: game covertly written by psychologists
0: i think she's got a degree i'm not oh. certain what uh degree yeah, she's seems, got
2: but I, i'm pretty sure every session i would play would end up with hey let's just be friends oh it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a variant <laughs> yeah. rule it'd be it'd be the end result of every session <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, okay it's the rule not the exception for <laughs> <Yes. you. laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> that sounds really interesting though and it seems like it'd be really cool a date night kind of thing so yeah, yeah it i
0: mean it's a meta
3: thing you're playing yeah. a, a date on a date you know or,
1: it's a really good way to get to know someone yeah,
2: definitely break so. the ice
1: yeah
3: right that's so, true yeah just like halloween it's like yeah, put on a mask be afraid don't be afraid to let it out there yeah now what are you playing willie I've been playing a sum total of nothing, Richard. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I've had a busy month at work. My, my uh, employer demanded a, a 12-day string of uh, straight work, and I'm just coming down off of that high. Oh, yeah. So that's... I'm hoping to uh, uh, wrap into, uh, I think, uh, I'm trying, I guess we'll be, I guess, November 1st, next Friday. Hoping to actually show up to the role-playing co- club awesome. here for the yeah, first time in six weeks. Yeah. Well, that's what we'll get into. We'll get into that. What we yeah, did for the, the
0: two yeah. two year anniversary of the wow. role playing club. So, and we had uh, like twenty people there. So it was going strong. But uh, wow. what have you been playing, uh, Michael?
2: Uh, I've been playing the the Ravenous with uh, Brendan. Has tests following uh, that wherever I can and get in. They, uh, just having a great time with that. We got a great solid group, and hopefully he's making. I think he's making some solid progress on his game. So, a lot of fun. So, Ravenous played tests. Hopefully. Soon be doing some Longmar. I got uh, just want to get the immersed in the setting so that when I bring it to the table, I can convey some of the atmosphere to the players.
0: Oh yeah, of course. I mean, and you played Ghost Court.
2: Yeah, sorry, I did play Ghost Court. That was uh, at the. You want to? Is that where we're going to start talking about? Well, the we two can talk. Yeah, we can talk, like talk about the
0: two-year two year anniversary of the role-playing club. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So one of the games at the two-year anniversary there was the Ghost Court Richie brought and. I was uh, I was a little leery at first until I, I sat down and put the judge's robes on. Or I, I, actually, I was a a defendant or a plaintiff. The, the you first were. Time I you went
0: through. do you want to explain, yes. it or do you want me so to you, explain? Yeah, once you go ahead. Okay. Game, tell us about. It. So ghost court is a uh, it's more like a LARP than like a role playing uh, like a tabletop role playing mm-hmm. cl- game. There are no dice. The judge's ruling is final. This is uh this is like dun dun
2: done. Yeah, for for <laughs> for, for yes. the
0: older set it's like night court but with ghosts nice. uh for it's com- it's more in, it's supposed to be a little more in the comedy vein uh, but you could think law and order where uh, some some it's a court drama. so one person plays the judge, one person plays the, the clerk, one person plays the bailiff uh then you can have a court reporter so you can have those awesome after uh after court uh you know interviews
1: that's what i'd want i'd it, want to play the reporter for well <laughs> nobody
0: wanted to play that so oh. we uh i would i would love to have had that at the end yeah. i think it would have really uh, been a great role-playing uh session and then there there was a person playing a plaintiff a person playing a, a defendant most of the time it was a ghost a ghost was on one side or the other of that, or, or or they were both mortals, and they were all talking about ghosts, or they were both ghosts talking about mortals, uh, and basically it's it's you get a, a case that says uh, these two people are this this person versus this person. And you hand those cards to two people in the audience. This is the kind of game you could have. Like it, it's a, par- a great party game. You have like tw- you know thirty, forty people hanging out like you need you you need a, a an audience to to like shout things at the judge so the judge so the judge can, so the judge <laughs> nice. can like bang, bang the, the gavel, gavel yes. uh, it, and and you can have a jury so you could have a jury and a foreman on the jury so uh uh we had uh we had about uh, I think about 10 or 11 people and uh I I saw some great uh role playing I because you're supposed to change out like jobs every sure. three cases so
2: you know what i found out uh as we were playing it, it's so different than what we normally play. I I was noticing that there was a a young player there who was really getting into character and I thought it was a great opportunity for someone to, because a lot of, some of the games you, there's six people and they're taking turns, it's really hard to flex your role-playing muscles. And that was a great exercise for them to get out there and Really, get into a character without relying on their character sheet or something. It was a good exercise uh,
0: but yeah, that's that's the thing where this this game really shines if you are gonna be a bit hammy. you're gonna be you're gonna you're gonna play the character. I mean, like, the one case I would, I played the judge for the first three cases to kind of, sh- you know, lead the lead that. And then we had a, a, a younger dr- judge. She was, uh, she, she chose the name judge dread. Nice. So, so she was, uh, she was handing down, uh, sentences left and right. And then we had, uh, Michael here, uh, play Immort- Judge or Morton Joe, yes. and-, and he was totally anti people, any yes. human. Yes. He told the bailiff to take out back and hang. Yeah, I found like it I didn't find- matter whether I they were Morten right or wrong. Joe Judge. Yes. Judge. Yes.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and, 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 and hang in judge court. Yep. Yeah. Like there's some weird cases. Like I was playing a human who was, di- had divorced his wife because she had been cheating on him with a ghost for five years. And they had, they had moved into his basement with their, their five half ghost children. So, <laughs> so a
1: Beverly Crusher, a little bit. A, a little to- bit <laughs> of
0: Beverly Crusher. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun, and I, because I'm me, I went and got uh, a wood gavel, nice. like an actual gavel. I had already had a black cape, because why wouldn't you have a black
1: cape? Oh, yeah.
0: And then I bought a white cloak, so the ghosts wore the white cloak, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, or or over the shoulders of a shawl or something to to ter- to show that they're ghosts. Mm-hmm. And we just like hung out and uh, and had pizza and and played ghost court and then we had another we had a table of uh pugmire so that's a thing awesome <laughs> sounds like pugmire turned into a funnel oh i, uh, I didn't hear
2: the results of it. yeah
0: i think i think they lost quite a few puppies in that uh in that
2: uh <laughs> well, i hope they weren't drowned <laughs> I, I don't know i don't know what heaven. happened i would have <laughs> th-
0: you'd have to ask a noble but it sounded like it sounded like they were dying pretty quickly uh, so that's kind of interesting <laughs> and, and you've been on your adventures yeah
1: actually. I wish I was in town for that I've actually never been to role playing club either and I've been meaning to make it out for about a year now just mm. never have had the time to um, okay. but I think that I'm I'm going to try on Friday to make it out there so maybe November 1st new month new me I don't know yeah. but I'm hoping maybe I can make it out
2: don't they have some there. DCC rolling they're, 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 well they're so on the, off,
0: on the off weeks, off weeks they do DCC to try and get some, you know, DCC points, the the judge points. I think that somebody is having a way to, and they love DCC. DCC is probably actually what built that club. Is what somebody accidentally said we were going to run DCC, and then we got a bunch of people to show up, and then they just stayed. <laughs> so that was kind of that. Was, uh, I'm I'm not looking at you. Uh, it Wasn't me. It, I mean, it was it was, so, it was it was like four or five other people like stayed because we said we were going to run DCC. So there's a great love there, and they're running that on their off weeks, and then. The next on week, I think I'm going to run Cyberpunk Red. Oh, awesome. Nice. So that's that's my next campaign. Cool. Uh, so you were on your adventures. Yeah. And then I have been on a hot streak. It's really, really weird because I, I, I had nothing and I had been working on Project Wedding for a while. And then now, uh, not only did I play Ghost Court, I also played, uh, well, I'll, I'll talk about, uh, I, I went to Gauntlet Con. Gauntlet Con. Ah. But uh, I'll talk about that in a minute. First... Hmm. I talk about the thing that happened this morning where I played shout out to, shout out to DM Zemo and Alan Barr. We played uh, Burning Wheel this morning at 8 a.m. Arizona time. How cool! So we we were uh, the odd couple. He's kind of playing a, a, a warrior, and I'm playing a, a coward book nerd named Victoria who uh, is not careful to with her sharp razor tongue. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're we're kind of. Uh, Artifact hunters. So, so
3: was that part of the common? No, this was separate, this was totally a separate. this is
0: a game that uh, DM Zemo has been he's been keeping the fires lit on the burning wheel because he's been trying to get uh, a lot of people to play for a while, a lot of people that aren't here right now to play for a while. And uh, yeah, that's right. I shouted, "You know who you are." <laughs> uh, and uh, that's we we finally just said we got two people we're going to play, and that was fantastic. Burning wheel is. It's the crunchiest story game I've ever played, Hmm. but it works like a charm. And especially with with Roll 20, because it's all built into the character sheets. So you just kind of like push a button, type in two numbers, get out, out... outcome and move on. So, okay,
2: cool. so if we're not familiar with burning wheels, that rules and a setting? So it has a, a built in setting or is it whatever it, the GM it's, wants to
0: it's more of a it's more of a rules. I mean there's kind of an imply a little bit of implied setting to it, but it's not a whole lot. Like it's it's definitely a fantasy game. We're playing kind of a a Victorian setting. Okay. So uh, so I'm kind of playing a doctor slash tinkerer, so maybe some some Mary Shelley mm, influences mm-hmm. there. So, uh, we'll see where that goes. It, it hates magic users because apparently magic was a thing, and now magic is gone. So we hunt magic. So
1: interesting.
0: Uh, yeah, it's, right. it it was really uh it's it's really shaping up to be something really interesting. We're gonna play the play that on Sunday mornings. Oh, very so, cool. That's gonna be pretty cool. And then I went to Gauntlet Con, which is a thing that's hard to say you went to Gauntlet Con right. because it's... <laughs> I a, was going to say. It's I sat an, in
1: front of my computer. <laughs> right.
0: I sat, I, I got out of bed and went and sat in front of my computer and had the camera on. So, you know. Or
2: is it At like you are happened? right now? Were you wearing your bathrobe like you are right now? Just with no No, <laughs> I,
0: I wasn't wearing my uh, Star Star Trek engineering bathrobe, <laughs> red engineering bathrobe. Uh, I I was dressed and showered, so okay. and I had pants on, which is a rule we have to have with some of my other friends that we play online are you wearing your pants Solid. yes okay we're we're good we're good to go so <laughs> this is actual playing games not role playing i was
3: going to say go. is and this your little cam thing where you're tur- Never no,
2: no 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 <laughs> so we, i saw a well, picture you sent us made us all well made me pretty jealous you sent us a pic of your one of your gauntlet con games yeah
0: so all these games were all basically floating heads on the screen and i was playing uh, uh cosmic uh, spells cosmic swords and search so the word solar in there solar blades yeah. cosmic spells and solar blades mm. i'm sorry diogo i haven't got to
2: play <laughs> that one yet i'm looking forward to it uh yeah. it's
0: basically like heavy metal the movie as a role-playing game based kind of on that whole co- the art co- is co- amazing the art is amazing uh and i was playing it with diogo shout out to diogo uh and he wrote that game and it's fantastic and we had a we had a great time we were of course a, a band of mercenaries who stole a ship from the the galactic overlord there who you. who went to a space station to uh fight some uh, undead cyborgs hmm. who were being animated by an ancient helm that had been dug up out of a, a gas giant hey. uh, so
2: give us a, a sample of the mechanics there like how do you resolve a Like a laser blast or a ship turn?
0: So it's all attribute rolls. So you, whatever, you have like four attributes and they're rated, I think, 1 to 18, just as as tradition says. But you roll under your attribute, but above the difficulty. Okay. So the difficulty might be 1, it might be 5, it might be, I think the highest we had was 7. I think I would have started, you know, the difficulties up a little higher from if I was going to, you know, but it was also a con game, so you kind of want to mm-hmm. do some awesome well, uh, stuff and not get die. So.
3: Richie, are you familiar with Diego's other the sharp swords and sinister it's, spells? It's the same. So system. it's the same. Okay, I read system. that. Interested. Okay, interesting.
0: A- and it's the same system as his uh, his modern dark game.
2: street. something about dark yeah. streets.
0: Yeah, dark streets. Yeah, that's, that's right. being played elsewhere in games. Darker. Yeah, street secrets. Darks, secrets. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love you, Yogo. The, the titles are hard to remember, so <laughs> we just, I think it's say Cosmic, Sinister, and, and... Well, we'll just play them more often. Yeah, we then do then need it'll... to play them more often, yeah. I, and I, I found it was a lot of fun. It was very simple to uh, get into, so...
1: That's awesome. That sounds cool.
0: And the other thing I played was a PBTA uh, uh, playtest of a game called The Fleet, which, uh, think uh, Battlestar Galactica. Uh, nice. So... Earth has been destroyed by some terrible invasion, mm-hmm. and uh, humanity is sort of uh, on the run from that invasion. And we, you play uh, uh, pilots in defense of the fleet.
1: The vipers, yeah. the vipers, or <laughs> the
0: mechanics. There's there's a mm-hmm. variety, but you're all pilots, but you're different. You can be different kind of pilots and different have like a stealth ship. One mm-hmm. one character has like a stealth ship. I played the gearhead, so I was I was like I, I'm not going to stray too far on a on a mechanical uh, or on a play test. So I'm just going to play something I know where I'm yeah. going to I'm just going to blow their minds away with tele- talking about fire being spherical and in zero g and. <laughs> stuff like that. Just super nerdy mm-hmm. me me going, "Okay, I can turn my mechanical up in this and not down." So, yeah. uh so yeah, I've been I played four games in four days, so
1: That sounds like a me schedule. It does. I was <laughs> I was thinking it was like I feel
0: like Ashley, like I feel awesome. Like
1: it's great.
2: <laughs> stepping up. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Pit- carrying the banner. <laughs> so, uh that was uh that was a hell of a schedule and uh now we're we're gonna we're gonna dig into some patron questions. Right. So we asked the patrons for some questions, and we we're giving away to the question one of these questions. We're going to decide which one is the best: a signed copy by the author of Dark Void by Christopher Fendelson uh, from Modiphius Games. It's a signed copy, as ex-bolded by our dear leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we will vote on which is the best question. These were these questions were directed to Jared. So Jared Jared cocaine so we're gonna answer it for him. Wasn't
2: he running tonight. around here early tonight? Like
0: uh, a bottle of
2: whiskey and a <laughs> trench coat.
0: Yeah, it w- there was there was some grenades flying somewhere, and I heard some explo- explosions and some like I'm clearly not hurt. And then <laughs> yeah. and
1: then silence. Yeah. I, so. I, I
2: clearly my fortitude prevented that. Maybe he'll join us next time. Is that, is that the rumor? Might that,
0: be, that's you know, uh, we're, we're, we're working on getting some recording sessions in. All right, cool. Grab some, okay. some
1: scorpion laced mezcal. For... Get him to sit down long enough to actually record with us. Can we get rate.
2: some of that protective glass, like they, uh, they <laughs> keep between him and us for our safety.
0: Yeah, I I think uh, I think that's wise. Yeah. I think that's really quite wise. Yeah. But uh, Ashley, can you uh, go ahead and read the first question for us?
1: For sure. We have a question from Aaron McKinley Cordial Cordiale, uh, Jared. How do I convince my group to play literally anything other than D and D? I've been trying to convince my friends who already play D and D with other groups during the week to try something different. But they have a hard time budging, even though I offer to run it every time. What can I do to show them what else is out there in role-playing? That is a great question. I think a lot of people get in on DD just because it's the biggest one. And sometimes it's a little hard to get them out of that comfort zone. Um, I would recommend, personally, I, I would just show up with something different sometime. Like, if you're going to be the one running it, just show up and be like, hey, I have this ready Ambush to go. Ambush GMing. Yes. <laughs> just like rustle
0: through the leaves. Yeah. And, and throw- then just be
1: like, yeah, I've, yeah, this is totally D&D, and then start. But instead, we're going to use these uh, D6s only instead or something. You know, nice. just start playing something different.
2: I think the uh, for me, the best way is to find one of those nights where it's a between sessions and somebody, they want to play a game, but you don't want to spend the whole night making a character. And I have... Uh, I found that if you if you have some preprinted funnel characters for D C C or something, it's like here's what you're playing, you just start gaming right off the bat. You might you know, when you have a short period of time and you don't want to spend the whole the whole time making characters, that's a good way to get somebody to play something else if you got something in your hip pocket ready to go.
1: Yeah, my, my real answer is not that no ambush jamming. I don't think that that would be <laughs> a good idea for players. Um, my real answer would actually be, uh, you know, those times where someone can't make it, like someone's sick or something and everyone's like, oh, are we gonna cancel? Or you can be like, well, actually I have this, you know, in my pocket ready to go and if people still want to come over and try it they can, but kind of in place of maybe a session that um not everyone can be there for. Yeah,
2: make it hot too. Make it good. So like, oh, yeah. Why yeah, haven't there's we gotta be a, more of this.
3: Yeah, there's gotta yep. be a pitch involved. I mean that's something I've learned from some of the pickup games here in Arizona. I've came from an environment where it's like no one wanted to be the DM or GM, so it's like, hey, if you were doing it you get you got you got to okay. call the tune. But here where you know, if you go into an environment where there's, you know, where either you have people that a lot of people willing to GM or in your case where you have people there that are married to one system is basically, you've got to come up with a pitch and explain to them why they want to play it. You know, how's this going to be cool? How's it going to be, you know, different, you know, and basically basically, if you know your friends well, basically try to tailor it to things that you know that they like that will, you know, basically ideas that will grab them, you know, parts of the, whatever you want to run that you think, oh, so-and-so will really like this. So just tailor your pitch to them and, you know, and figure out, as, these, as uh, Ashley and Michael said, you know, you know, wait for your opportunity until, until there's a lull in a different game or someone can't make it and then pounce with your pitch.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. They uh, definitely pit. You want to play every week because that keeps the group together, right? Mm-hmm. It, momentum is super important, right? So definitely on that night when one person or two person is are, aren't there, definitely pick those nights to have you know basically you know take those games you really want to run, prepare them, right? Have them in your like briefcase with your cufflet, you know, cuffed <laughs> around your arm, your right? Nuclear football and your 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 <laughs> encased football, and just when you're uh, all right, these the you know. And also, the other, the thing I would say is, not just tailor it to what they're interested Tailor it to what they're interested in. Find an IP that they know, right? That's true. Star Wars, mm-hmm. Star Trek, a- any IP that they're interested in. Supernatural. There is almost invariably an IP game out there that is interesting, or in some way. Mm-hmm. It might not be the best game ever, but getting them to break that, once you break that like habit of playing the one game... People are, tend to be like, oh, that was pretty awesome. Or, and definitely elicit feedback on, uh, after you run a game and like, hey, look, I understand that we like to play d d but was this awesome? I mean, please tell me if it wasn't. Like, definitely be open to, like, criticism of, like, I didn't enjoy that or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that you can kind of find that. Where that line is, and, and you know, because it's always, it's a moving line. It's not, unless, I mean, so the answer sometimes is there's just not a way to get people to not play D&D. They're well, just like, there are people we that stubborn. just won't come off of that center. And I, I think the other way of doing that is going, okay, we're going to play 5th edition d d or whatever version you're stuck on,
3: but we're going to do it in space. Right. Or with a Viking setting or something that's non the non-core settings of that Wizards of the Coast have spun out. And here's a couple mechanics I'm going to, I'm like in love
0: with a certain mechanic, mm-hmm. like uh, backgrounds or, or uh, uh, strings or attachments or history from Apocalypse World. I'm in love with that idea, so I'm just going to introduce that to my D&D game, mm-hmm, right? Sure. So just yeah, they're still rolling at E20. Yeah, they're trying to hit AC, but there, you know, and you'd be like, "Oh, I'm gonna give you a, an inspiration if you play off your, uh, uh strings." like or something like that where you bring in some of those mechanics you want and be like oh yeah and they're like oh that's a great mechanic like where did that come from well it came from this game over here and there's lots of other cool stuff in that game maybe we could play that one so mm-hmm. like kind of it, it, maybe more of that stealth gming is like just bring in that that mechanic and uh mm-hmm. that you really want to run and just bring it in a
2: I, I think a lot of that hesitancy to try something new comes from the amount of investment you spent in time learning Mm -hmm. how to play the one and like "Ah, i don't have the time or the energy to learn something new so that's why like the suggestions you put out there i think they're a good way to get over that
1: and with that being said i think that if you're going to be trying to introduce something to a new group of people who might be a little hesitant um, make sure that you are very familiar with the rule set make sure that you really know the rules because flipping through the book yeah if uh you have a group there that's already kind of hesitant and you finally get them at this table and they're willing to play something else make sure that you know what you're doing because um, that might be kind of a turnoff for them too if they're confused about the rules when they're trying to play
0: point yeah and and try to pick one of the lighter systems if you if you're really into you want to be like if they're like really like we le- we took forever to learn this and we, mm-hmm. we know this by heart like to me Fiasco is that perfect game, mm-hmm. but that it, you've got it, but play Fiasco D&D. Like play fantasy Fiasco. <laughs> and I think that you all those things that they always could want to do, they can do. Like or pl- take take a, one of these other systems and turn it into a fantasy game and see sure. if they just want those tropes of a fantasy game so mm-hmm. dungeon world is a thing uh great question yes. i love that question it's the yeah, eternal question, question realistically i know uh, michael do you have the next question yeah,
2: our next question is from the patron thank you very much ira grace and then the question is how do you handle integrating shadowy supernatural or occult elements into games in a way that makes them actually unsettling rather than falling into the trappings of campy or generic horror uh, i'm gonna let somebody else take a first stab at that one I I don't often run the horror games somebody I mean uh, that's yeah how that, do you do it? that's
3: a that's a great you know a lot of times that you know you've got to float it through description or and also surprise basically you try to you set up things of this is normal this is normal and then suddenly abnormal happens especially if you know if you're running my one of my jams is basically uh low fantasy uh role playing games with horror elements in it so basically you set it up with you know A typical peasantry or whatever, but basically there's a twist on it. There's something so that basically, you know, if you, in the case of fantasy, you make magic relatively rare so that when something happens, out, it's like, okay, this is super bizarre. You know, there's. I think there's mechanics, and I haven't really, you know, the games I've played, and there's not that many, but I haven't really come across uh, mechanics ways to try to make that. I think there probably are, and there might be some other people at the table or people that aren't here at the table that could talk about, you know, successes or non-successes they've had through mechanics of trying to induce that those types of, you know, that type of feeling at the table.
0: My favorite horror game is Dread, and what Dread does is. And, and I'm, I'm weird like this because I, I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's a one-trick pony, but the trick is so good. It's a Jenga tower-based game. So when you, instead of rolling, you take a block or two off the Jenga tower, right? So there's impending doom coming. Everyone can see it. Everyone knows that doom can happen at any time. And it's like a magic trick that happens every time. Everybody starts, they're kind of leaning on the table, they're kind of joking, they're kind of laughing. But as that tower starts to sway in the middle, they start to get more serious. O- obviously, horror is about tone, but it's also kind of about existential threats and dread. So if you can, uh, if you can bring uh, a sense of it's bright and sunny, things are happening, things are normal, Things are getting a little darker. Think, uh, you're speaking a little lower. You're able to, you know, bring in some sound effects or some mood. A- a- as the night goes on, they will they will start to pay more attention to what's going on. Mm-hmm. You'll have the the people start with their phones, and as you start lowering your voice and getting slower, and and then he comes out and he stabs you, right? Sure. Not not like not the jump scare is not. I'm shouting at you. The jump scare is, oh, the bushes rustle and then a knife plunges into your heart, you know, from behind. It's about, like, bringing that existential dread you get in a good horror film and bringing it to the table. And that's why I like dread so much is because there's a physical, visible, very visible thing on the table that's showing them. So maybe you're uh, in other games if you're having trouble getting that same mode is just use the clocks from uh, a lot of apocalypse games and other things where you're like every time something happens you just reach around and don't say anything. you just have a piece of paper on the table that's got a circle in it that's divided up and when you know something happens that you deem is something one step closer to something happening, you just mark that off. And they'll get they'll get it eventually once you start, and that's a good sign for yourself to start. Oh, we're 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 one quarter of the way through this clock. It's time to bring, bring turn this uh, heat up on this frog. So yeah, I
2: think with the uh, where the question says to prevent it from falling into campy or generic horror, I think if you look at the what's happening there with the dread tower, how it's it starts off slow and easy, like you just pull that first piece off, it's like nothing. But if you do that verbally with your with your description as a as a chronicler or a game master whichever system you're playing use those verbal techniques of description that uh that don't just jump right with the right to the kill or right to the the creature jumping out in front of you just little hints yeah. that get more more and more serious as you go along and uh, it won't fall into campy or generic
1: Yeah, I think subtle is kind of like that psychological mindfuck kind of thing is the most important aspect of horror that really gets people. Yeah, take your time to it out. Yeah, and I think that the first introduction to that is kind of where you set the tone for that. So if it's something uh, very subtle, like like Michael was saying, removing that first Jenga block or whatever it is, um, one, there is the knowledge that at some point shit's going to go down, you know, because sometimes it's like, oh, well, if we just do these things, then we can get through this unscathed. But if it's much like known, no, things are going to happen and they're going to be very bad, then that kind of adds that impending doom element. But starting out, even if you, uh, in your descriptions, slip something in there that's almost like your players might think you misspoke or it was Mm -hmm. an accident... Um, something like that will kind of get them thinking if they're paying attention and then do that a couple times. And as you build that, um, they're like, no, that was that was on purpose. You know, it's just building the suspense there.
0: Well, yeah, don't tell them it's on purpose. But y- right. yeah, you have to kind of decide what that is ahead of time and kind mm-hmm. of practice it and kind of keep, you know, have a note on your notes like mentioned this uh mm-hmm. that they're all wearing hats you know and then one hat has got an eye in the middle of it but you you know where the feather was or something and yeah. then, and then they look and it's gone like it's it's all the tricks you see The cheesiness in horror comes when you're, it's basically like you show what's happening all the time. Like the aliens are really scary. The xenomorphs are really scary because you only see a little piece or you don't even know they're there. You don't even see them until you never see a whole one. It's always surrounded by fog, Mm -hmm. but it's progressive as you go through. So borrow the, you know, Pennywise the clown is really scary, but he's playing on your, uh, the kids nightmares, right? That's That's because
1: he's a clown, and clowns are fucking terrifying. They are, (laughs)
0: but they're also kind of cheesy from, (laughs) if you don't do it right, it can be very cheesy, but I think if you, especially if you ask, like, the the players, like, to choose either something that's scary to them that's also scary to their, you know, make sure you, safety rules apply, you know, Mm -hmm. no spiders if they say no spiders or whatever, Mm -hmm. but uh pick some have them pick something scary that, for their character that you're going to use and, and this is part of like session 0 or whatever that you're going to use as part of the horror that's going to happen so they know and, and that this is on their character sheet so they're supposed to be acting scared so that can mm-hmm. kind of help you kind of target where they want to be and where you need to go so a little bit.
2: I think it's also important when it's just it asks uh, what's actually unsettling. I think it requires them having something that they actually care about, and then you threaten it, mm-hmm. or you place it in danger, you harm it. It's kind of difficult if you're just starting the session, and you've, especially if you've been handed a new character sheet, to be actually concerned about what happens. So if you use that slow build and where they either care about, the, they played enough to care about the character being hurt, or you've allowed them to acquire something mm-hmm. that you can threaten or take away, that, that could go a long way to being actually unsettling, as the question says.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you really want, like, there's always that NPC that the, the player, players always latch, latch on to, that you yes. can care less about, right? Yeah, use that. You know, <laughs> kill that character off. In a horror scenario, that's what you do. It's mm-hmm. like the players fall in love with that character, and then you basically, or they turn out to be the bad guy. One of the two. Mm-hmm. That, also,
2: that's also some questions. I mean, uh, decisions. I think that's something that's often missed. Is like they have to make a choice make between a, a bad choice and a worse choice. Right? Yes, that's yeah. good. It's like who do I save? Like, well, somebody's going to die. Which one's going to be on your conscience? Things like, like
1: Sophie's that. choice kind of yeah. situation. Yeah. Yeah. No,
2: that's very unsettling.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a great question. So now yeah. I'm going to go around the table. We're going to decide. Which was the better question? Because we only got two questions now, but these are great questions, so I'm not going, but I think that more patrons giving us more questions to get, uh, gain an amazing prize, a signed copy of Black Void, which is a gorgeous book and an amazing idea and system. I've r- read quite a bit of it, so. Yeah, I'll go.
3: That's Both of these are great questions and both one I've thought about for a long time and one that's I've thought about a lot recently. And I guess probably I'll go with my gut or what viscerally gets to me, and that would be Aaron uh, mckinley Cordial's question about how do you get a group to play something other than D&D or a and d clone? Yes. Michael?
2: I'm going to go with the question I read, Iris' question, uh, for the reason that it really made me think as a GM, what can I do? What tools do I have to, to uh, step up my game at the table and try to make my sessions unsettling? So I'm going to go with Iris' question.
1: Yeah, I think I agree. Um, I think that the first question is a very um, it's a question that we get a lot just in general in the gaming community because there's so many other things out there and everyone knows D and Pathfinder, you know. So, um, I think that that's a very uh common question. But I really like the second one because it really makes you think. You know, uh, I think that more people should run spooky games, especially right now, because it's October, so it's spooky Tis season. The season uh, yes, it's the best. Yes. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say to be I agree. Spooky. Yes.
0: So, okay. So, I'm going to go with, you. so you're, a, you're a, a crew of three. So, mm-hmm. if I voted, yep. I would probably still vote for Ira, but thats that first question has been one of those problems forever. Yeah. But I'm going to go with, uh, I would go with Ira, but I think I'm going to let you guys, as an uneven voting body, mm-hmm. vote for Ira. So, congratulations, Ira Grace. Congratulations, uh, We Ira. will uh, be sending you the signed copy of Black Void from us to you for free including free shipping wherever in the world you live and thanks for being a patron yes, we well, really appreciate it yeah, and thanks for the bribe yeah well, <laughs> no, well yeah <laughs> well yeah part of that bribe was the patronage Just got kidding. a new recorder for this episode so yeah. hopefully it sounds glorious right. so uh, I bet everybody in the audience is wondering where uh, Adam and Brendan are because this is like the first episode in forever that I don't think either of them have been on and uh, well Adam is uh, currently fighting an illness uh, that may have been contracted from battles with scorpions or zombies, <laughs> so uh, he he should be get well pretty soon. I certain. heard it was He's zombie
2: pretty... s- zombie scorpions. Zombie scorpions. It,
0: scorpion
1: it was a scorpion zombie. Scorpion zombie.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So yeah, you know, either either one. He'll have to tell us when he comes back. <laughs> and then Brendan has been hard at work in his high castle on Ravenous, and but he has graced us with a missive from his design diary. So we're going to now play Ravenous Design Diary, uh, holding environment, holding forever, Electric Boogaloo (laughs) 4. Here you go, Brendan.
4: What up, cultists? This is Brendan Carrion, and uh, I know I'm not on this episode, but I'm checking in uh, with you guys. RBK asked me to record some of my thoughts on Ravenous so you guys could listen to it while I am busy working on building the game itself. So um, here's what's been going on lately. This is, uh, this isn't, this is it for, for holding environment, guys. I know that like some people have been listening to this. I'm hoping that you guys have gotten a lot out of it. it I feel like the what, what uh, Mark is now calling holding environment theory has done a lot for my ability to get Ravenous to the table, uh, but I also have a lot of other things to talk about with that game, so I don't want to bore you guys to tears. Uh, with this episode uh, that we're releasing today, that we're going to be releasing a bonus episode same time, so it should it should be up. This was uh, some f- uh, audio that I collected with Mark at uh, Rincon, and so look for that. Mark Truman, he just kind of holds forth on his thoughts on holding environment theory and it's it's weighty stuff. It's like it's heavy. It's it's cerebral. Like I mean, I'm gonna have to kind of listen to it a couple of times to make sure that I get it. Because uh, the as he kind of says, the theory itself is sort of like in process of being made. And um, I think that there's I think there's a lot of stuff going on in it. And I think we all we all have a lot to learn to before we really flesh the whole thing out. So um, what was going on with Ravenous in terms of holding environment? We've kind of talked about the theory of it let's talk about the reality of how that was kind of shaking out in the game itself. And, uh, so the ravenous had some real, some real problems like early on, uh, aside from just like wonky ideas that I had or like dumb mechanics that didn't work. Like one of the things that Mark likes to talk about is, you know, you, the game needs to be runnable by somebody who didn't write it, you know? And, uh, Uh, I, I, I've run a lot of playtests of Ravenous and, um, I really was starting to get the feeling from the playtest that I was running, like, well, these are, it's, it's just, it's just me. They're not really playing the game. They're playing the game as I see it. Kind of like how when I run Vampire the Masquerade, it has a certain feel, or when I run fucking Talos Lanta or some shit, it has a certain feel, um, but I didn't, I don't know if that was, it, it, there was no way to tell if that was the rules or not. Uh, so when I went to Gen Con, um, I ran with Mark and Mad J. Brown, um, Sarah Doombringer, and Sam Saltiel. And uh, the general feeling that they kind of came back with was that they didn't really know what to do right? And that was very dismaying to hear because, you know, I mean, I've run a lot of Vampire Masquerade and I was always just kind of like, well, you just do vampire stuff. Just go do vampire stuff. How fucking hard is that? Go do vampire stuff. Um, but when you step back a second as a designer and you're not a GM anymore, then you really get to look yourself in the mirror and you start asking that question. Like, what is vampire stuff? What, what should vampires be doing? So, um... My my design concept up until that point had been based very highly on what I used to do when I was running Vampire the Masquerade, which was I was a GM as a storyteller. My, my, my ethos was always to just give the players a lot of agency and to give them a lot of stuff like on their character sheet that I felt like they could really work with. This usually worked its way into background points, right? Like I would try and have i try and tell people to write an immersive backstory that, like, kind of focused on something. And then I'd give them a whole bunch of free background dots in order to flesh out that concept. And I felt like sometimes this would lead to, like, just incredibly deep role-playing because people would be very invested in what was going on. But I feel like I probably was only batting, like, say, 500 because I had a bunch of Vampire Masquerade games that flamed the fuck out, too, right? And I never really understood why. I kind of think I had sort of a uh, GM-ish kind of attitude where I was like, God, it's the player's. It's the player's fault. It's the player's fault. When it doesn't work, it's not my fault. It's their fault. I look back on it now, and I think that there was an innate problem with Vampire the Masquerade. And I think that it has a lot to do with what we are talking about here with holding environment theory. And um, that started to be a problem in Ravenous because my way of writing playbooks was similar to Masquerade, how I liked to run it. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to give the players a bunch of shit. I was calling them assets and I wanted everybody to have a bunch of assets at the beginning of the game that would then make them invested in what was going on in the city and what was going on in the adventure. But when I got the game to the table, what I found was people would look at their character sheet, their playbook, and they'd say, oh, I have all these things. And then they wouldn't want to go do anything. they just want to sit. they just want to sit on top of their stuff. And I mean, that's not very interesting. That's not a very interesting game. Uh, this kind of culminated in the game that I know, I've talked about a couple times on the show, where literally, like, the characters we standing on a street corner watching people go by seeing i was describing all these sort of urban sounds and sights that they were participating in but they weren't wouldn't, wouldn't participate they they literally just were standing there talking amongst each other about well maybe should we go interact with something or maybe not and they kept looking at their character sheets and i kept i feel like they kept being drawn back to what i was calling the assets so what I realized is that those things had to go. The, um, that sense of having all this stuff was not investing the players in the game. It was actually isolating them from it. So uh, in attempting to redefine the holding environment, what I did was, as I said, every time a new chronicle begins, it's going to be the players arriving in a new town. Okay, because up until that point, there was this element of vampire fiction that I had kind of been overlooking, and honestly, I think it's part of a vamp- of, of vampire fiction that all vampire games overlook, which is that vampire literature is very much kind of like a travelogue that type of novel the the most popular ones were written in the kind of like late Victorian era where there was a certain kind of romantic style of writing that was going on it wasn't romantic in the sense that we consider it now with like bodice ripping and like Fabio guys and stuff it was this kind of um, fascination with nature and kind of uh, the natural world, this this sort of like fetishization of nature. And uh, if you read Dracula, especially if you sit down and you read Dracula, there's lots of um, descriptions of like the forest and the mountains and shit like this. And uh, if you want, look at a lot of vampire movies or television shows... It shows the characters as a group, again, the brood, moving around, right? And if you watch fucking Buffy, you'll see this. They'll do a flashback to Angel thinking about something. They'll say, Dublin, 1812, and it'll be like Angel and Spike hanging out and having a fucking conversation. Same thing on Forever Night. This also kind of happens in Interview with a Vampire. They move around a lot. But there's not really a mechanic for that in any other vampire game. And so what I realized was this is was what the game was really missing is it needed this sense that you are on the move, that vampire life is not static, that it changes a lot because you go to a city and you do something you do a bunch of dumb vampire shit like killing people and then people get impatient with you, and they kind of run you out of town on a rail, and then you end up in another city where you set up shop, and this time, and this is this is very kind of critical to it, is that this time you think everything's going to be fine, and you set up all the same dumb institutions that you set up in the last town because you're an innately flawed individual, and, and, you, and you keep trying to do the same things, and they keep fucking falling apart. So what we have now is characters who get introduced into a new environment at the beginning of the game, and they don't really understand it. And that gives the GM a lot of uh, sort of carte blanche to write a setting that they feel is gonna be compelling. And then it puts the characters into it to explore it and because they aren't coming into this setting with a bunch of resources and assets, there's a sense of danger, but there's also a sense of urgency because they need to go out and they need to find stuff like right away. They need to find a place to sleep before the sun comes up. They need to find blood to munch on before they get too hungry, uh, and these, like, kind of addressing these kind of lower tier Maslow's hierarchy needs really compels the game for the first few sessions. It also kind of drives the player characters to start using their obligations because the people are going to start having uh, an interesting investment in how things work out, and you just really end up seeing that in a way that, without trying to self-gloss here too much, the interactions are fundamentally different than the other vampire games that I've run. Uh, and I'm, I'm hoping that you'll check out Ravenous when it becomes available and, uh, and experience that and enjoy that. I hope that maybe you get an opportunity to do some playtesting with me. Uh, I've been experimenting with online playtesting, so if you're interested in something like that, come get at me. Um, I guess the last thing I want to say about that is that I also built into the concept of the travel log a concept of um a mechanic where you do eventually get run out of the city and uh what we're calling that right now is eschaton which is um essentially kind of like points that get chalked up against the location that you are currently staying whenever you take certain actions certain actions yield certain points and when you reach certain critical threat hol- thresholds, uh, little plot devices will emerge from the woodwork. And if you're a chronicler and you want to learn more about that, get at me and I can, you know, share some of that with you. And maybe you can run some of that for your group. Um, But the final stages are, uh, the city essentially ejects you like, uh, like a malfunctioning organ and, uh, you gotta get the fuck out of there. And there are some mechanics for how you can draw down Eschaton, but, uh, drawing it down is a lot more difficult than racking it up. So, uh, I think it gives I think that framework, that holding environment of the players need to gain access to resources, uh... They have legacies that come from behind them. They have a future that they're being driven towards. I think it creates a very tight game. And uh, the campaign that I've been running on Friday nights with uh, Michael, who's in the podcast, with uh, Life, who's in the club, my two old friends, Ben, and my new friends, Keith and Megan, has been really rewarding. I'm looking forward to be back on the show and talking more about it. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Ravenous Design Diary 4. Holding Environment 3, this is all I have to say about Holding Environment for a while. A while. And I'm going to give you back to Reggie Buzzkill and the crew. Have a good night.
0: All right, thanks, Brendan. Thanks for the design diary.
3: Uh, now we got a review by Willie B. Hey, gang. Yep, I'll be uh, reviewing a, I would call a story telling game. It's called Beyond the Firelight Deluxe, a storytelling game of folklore and horror. I know uh, Brendan and Adam before have done reviews on the show, sometimes informal, sometimes in a, a typed-up prose version. Uh, this I've got an outline here, so I'm sort of going to float between that, between a little reading and then also discussing and commenting on on my comments and inviting the gang here to to pitch in their thoughts as well. Anyway, uh, this uh, uh, "Beyond the Firelights" written by Aaron T. Huss and published by Mystical Throne Entertainment. I purchased it as a watermark PDF for $8 on DriveThruRPG. You can also get it through the Mystical Throne Entertainment's website. Uh, the game is designed, it says, for two to six players. Uh, it weighs in at a, a whopping 115 pages. Uh, happy for those of you that aren't uh, big on a lot of crunch. 65 of that are the game, and the remainder being uh, four different scenarios to play through. Uh, Mr. Huss's uh, game credits include the Entropic Game System, equipped quick start guide. Entropic Gaming System is also another property, I believe, of Mystical Throne Entertainment. Uh, also, the Shadowed Earth Cryptology 01 Chaos Realm. Shadowed Earth is also something that uh, this game, uh, Beyond the Firelight, uh, draws from. I think it's uh, sort of an overarching uh, Earth, but with creepy, uh, magic-y, horror things that are real. Um, not that that's an original thought, but that's something that they have as, as part of the Mystical throw Entertainment series that they publish, I think, a, a few different gaming systems using that type of setting. Um, he also has uh, written the following, an, an occult fantasy horror that uses a Powered by the Apocalypse system. Uh, also, the, an ultimate character's guide uh, for Savage Worlds. So he's got a, a little bit of breath to his game, uh, game credits there. Uh, this particular game, uh, Beyond the Firelight, was originally published in 2016. Uh, the deluxe edition de- released last month, September. Uh, the art in the book. It's a combination of stock art and select pieces by Earl Geyer uh, that have been used with his permission. Uh, I think for myself, I find the art, it's uh, well selected, there's not, that's not a big for a person that likes a lot of art in their book and, or that's a main selling feature. I wouldn't say that's a big high point, but I think what was selected fits very well with, with the book itself and the genre. Um, Again, as I mentioned, the overarching setting is the Shadowed Earth, uh, Alternate Earth with the major difference that legends around folklore are real. It uses something called the Chronology Engine Game System. As far as I can tell, this is the only game that currently uses this system. And when I say system, that usually implies something more complex or codified than this, and I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, Getting into some of the, the pieces of the game, the characters are called personalities. Uh, basically everyone at the table runs a personality, uh, during the scenario. Uh, that includes what would ostensibly be the lead storyteller, something that, which sort of trails into something I didn't expect when I picked up this game. I'm used to most games that have a fixed game master. Uh, this one, the players switch off the role of lead storyteller between each act. Like the particular scenarios, the ones in the book have three to four acts. I've seen a a, a related published, uh, I would call it adventure or whatever with this that had many more acts than that. But basically, you, the lead storyteller takes on that you know role for that act, and then it rotates to someone else at the table. Uh, during each you know each act, the lead storyteller reads the act's narrative, controls the environment, and also continues to run his or her personality. He or she uses the environment to respond to the actions of the other player's personalities. You know The scenario itself determines which objectives must be achieved in each act for it to have been a success. Depending on for the group of personalities, if you come out of the end of uh, an act where you've met all the objectives, that's enough success, and there's one path uh, that's written into the uh, scenario for that. And if you do not meet all the objectives, that's a failure. And another path is written out of that, so you can slowly diverge uh, uh, along paths depending on whether you're being successful or not. Uh regard to mechanics, the stated design purpose is to be able to resolve anything with one die roll. If the player can apply one of their personality traits, they get a bonus to the roll. If one of the pers- personality descriptors, and I'll go through traits and descriptors here in a moment, that allows for a re-roll, it, you know, again, if, if one of the personality descriptors applies that allows for a re-roll to succeed. So the traits, you get a bonus, descriptors, you'll get a chance to re-roll for a success basically each object as I mentioned each object act has objectives that need to be met for successful navigation and the group more or less gets a dice pool to use to do that and that for each act that dice pool is limited so once you've used up a dice a die to try to succeed yeah, that's it uh, anytime a player is attempting an object objective uh, dictated by one of the challenges um, a dice roll is necessary to determine if it succeeds or not obviously um, Again, I sort of covered that where you have to remove a dice, you know, whether you fail or succeed. Uh, the characters themselves, here we'll get to a, a, a more interesting thing. They're, they're basically statless. It's a statless character game. You're, the characters are made up of traits, descriptors, and a short list of equipment. Uh, also, the archetype. There's about a dozen archetypes in the book based on uh, a particular uh, set of folklore, which is colonial America. but basically the book says describes you can take any period you know pre-modern and take the folklore from that particular uh, era and use that and basically design personalities that would fit and also uh, scenarios that would fit. So it's basically you know gives you a, a way to basically write what you want. If there's a particular type of folklore that intrigues you and that you think would be work really well for a horror type game, you can jump in and, and uh, use this system to, to do it. Anyway, um, you know, the characters themselves that typically have, uh, at least in the starters, the starter example characters were two traits and at least seven, uh, but no more than 10 descriptors. Uh, and the personalities all start with three health. At zero, the personality is all but dead. There's a, a very careful description there. The lead storyteller in each act has a final say on if the personality can recover or is dead dead. If the personality can recover, another personality can narrate how they recover and are brought back into a later act. So if you if you're... If you're all but dead, that means you're done for that act at least, and maybe that character's done for that game, or should I say that personality's done for the game. You know, If a personality is dead-dead, then the lead storyteller, toiler with the help of other players, determines if a new personality needs to be brought into the story, A, to help cl- complete it, and B, so someone's not sitting around for a couple hours with nothing to do but listen to all the other people roleplay. That's always fun. <laughs> if the personnel are able to resolve the scenario by com- overcoming the complications and defeating the adversary... Uh, by the end of the, all the acts, the surviving personalities will get to add a new descriptor to their personality, which is one of the seven to ten things that, uh, that I described. If the personality does something particularly heroic to help resolve the scenario in a positive way, they're awarded a trait instead. Um, what you're what you're basically more, and those are basically like, hey, you're very good at uh, diplomacy or there's certain things that basically allow you a caveat that basically allows you bonuses to your role that when, when you're dealing with 1D6, you know. A plus one or plus two is really a powerful you know, uh, addition. Uh, combat is resolved by opposed D6 roles between whatever the adversary is represented through in the act and, and the character or personality personalities always initiate combat which is uh interesting you know mode and also as far as initiative there's really no set initiative here that says basically you will free flow it much like a dungeon world apocalypse world or if you must basically you'll pick a person and you'll just go uh, clockwise or counterclockwise around the table that sort of gives you a i think a nutshell description of it it's i would say it's 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 a very it's a very uh very, uh, compared to what I'm used to, it's a very storyteller uh, storytellerist game, not, you know, not a lot of rules. You know, my thoughts, it's October, what could be more thematically appropriate than a horror survivor story- storytelling game in Colonial America? I like the setting. The title, the genre, and the setting itself is what made me shell out some ducats for this product. The book indicates you can set this in any, as I said, any non-modern time period and make it work. If you you know if you if you're someone that wants or needs crunch, well, best plan to get your fiber elsewhere. <laughs> in fact, let's just call let's call this game what the author calls it a few pages in a cooperative storytelling game. Sure, at the root, every role-playing game is a cooperative storytelling game. This just seems to be set up to be very explicit about that with a game game framework that drives that. You know, and and again for a person a personal comment, I've heard of games that involve switching off storytellers GMs on the fly within a session, but I've actually never actually played one. Part of me is curious to see how it would work. Another part of me, the part that enjoys being a game master, hesitates to cede or share control of the narrative to that degree. I guess for myself, I would be more tempted to play this game if I could handpick the players that I was playing it with. Um,
2: does the when you switch storytellers, do you what happens to the personality that you were playing?
3: Uh, you that you will even during when you're the act, you play that you will play that uh, character or, or personality. Interesting. So you so you're pulling double duty then. Obviously, I would think in action that you would sort of, your personality during that act, that you're the lead storyteller, would would lean back a little bit and let the other uh, personalities drive the story. But, you know, I don't know, haven't played it, so it would be interesting So you switch off every act? Yes, every act the lead storyteller changes.
0: Is an act a full session or is that part of the
3: session? No, the the act, part of the session, I would say it looks like based on the the, uh, four act scenario that I read through, I would say that probably these acts probably would last anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour, hour and 50 minutes based on how deeply you wanted to role play and how quickly you're going to burn through that dice pool.
2: Sure.
1: Um, So you just have, like, a pool of D6s then, basically? Yes,
3: but, yeah, the group has a pool of D6s to share for that act.
1: Okay, so you're all playing different personalities of, like, the same character?
3: No, no, you're playing, you're playing, they just, instead of characters, they call them personalities. That's just something I threw out there that I thought was a little curious and interesting. I think... uh, Going towards, uh, I'll give you some examples of, you know, with this particular genre uh, that the author chose to think, some of the personality uh, archetypes that he chose to to put into the book itself are the uh, antiquarian, basically enthusiasts for things in the past, and some of the traits, like for the antiquarian, for example, it says pick two of these four traits. You're an appraiser, you're a negotiator, you're a scholar, you're an observer. So basically to pick two of those, you can sort of mold your your uh, personality a little bit you know differently and also the same thing with equipment you could pick pick three from a list of six or seven descriptors pick seven to nine from a list of you know 15
2: does it seem like they're designed to go um, the player rather the personalities are designed to be multi uh, well multi sessions or it's like a, it's like a book you, offer, you mean? yeah is is when you create a, a personality is that designed for you you play that personality for a year or you once you finish the four acts, then
3: no, I think I think if, the presuming died. the personality slash character survives, you will you, know, you and and survives and and the scenario was successful, you know you'll get to add you know a descriptor like in the case of the axe man. In this case, yeah, that's not a guitarist, Michael. Oh. In this case, that's an actual woodsman oh. for felling trees in 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 the uh, in the uh, Massachusetts colony. Uh, some of the, some of the descriptors are: can build furniture, can extract pitch, tar, and resin from trees. Is quite brawny. I was thinking Regularly murder family in sleep. But. <laughs> right. Furniture. Probably that's all right.
2: Important. There you go. Hey.
3: <laughs> uh, so I guess uh, you know after reading this and also listening to you guys ask very. Good questions. I would say this. This look reading through this game, it appears to be like uh, uh, powered by the apocalypse, but with even even more free form. As far there's no moves or things like that. There's just some very uh, loose guidelines about how to apply your traits or your descriptors to drive the narrative
0: yeah i, I your, your comment about uh multi-GM games or GMless games unless all the story is already out on the table and whoever's leading the story already has access it feels like the uh, the story could take weird jags I, I mean i I play games that are where every session you change game masters. It's not every like hour. Or I play games that every person around the table was responsible for the entirety of the... We're all working together the whole time. But to be like, okay, I'm telling you this fantastic story. And then I've got... I know that all of us around the table... You're right. Picking who you want to play with is very important. But I also feel like that's not that necessary. As necessary if you just said, we're all telling this story together. There's no Game Master it's just all of us.
3: Yeah, and I think that just the this the lead storyteller for a particular act gets to have some information that the other players don't get during that particular act, so that basically you know that you know some spoilers as it were to so that it doesn't inf- you know they keep them to, that to themselves so that it doesn't influence the success or failure uh, uh, to resolve that particular act in a positive way.
0: Yeah, I get that, but I I have more and more got to the point where secrets are the best thing to keep above table like i w- i want to know your secrets so i can play into them mm-hmm. and s- because oh you were a demon the whole time huh okay i guess you <laughs> kind of fucked us over all surprise. right surprise <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it, just, after it the just, game's just doesn't over. have yeah. the it i mean or the very last scene in the in the whole campaign we the big reveal the it's like yeah, but I could have had more fun if I knew you were it's, fucking us over right. like this entire time.
3: The evil right. was inside us all the, all the time. <laughs> 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 Laugh track. Right. But no, I think it's not the characters that are or personalities that are supposed to be the adversary. There's they don't, as far as I can tell, none of that's set up that way. But it's just, I think you know. But I think, and a lot of it, I think you do put that forth uh, as far as. They're not really secrets. There's a little bit held back, but compared to what I'm used to, where the GM controls the story and there's all sorts of things going on underneath the surface, this is very much a more, you know, everything's or more things are above surface. So I think it's, you know, it'll be interesting. I think, you know, and I think, Richard, that's a very good point, is I think it's sort of hackable. So you could play this with just a GM. You could do it with that. We're basically saying, hey, we're going, you know, we're going to. Do this, but I think the the trouble with and I'm tr- I'm trying to parse that to see within each of these acts, it's like hey, you have like four th- like say you have four objectives you have to accomplish. It's like well, how much you know? Basically, if if everybody knows everything, then that you know what you have to go do, and they just go do it. And we just roll we roll four d sixes and move on, and you can have this game done in thirty thirty minutes or less.
0: <laughs> right it's the it's the do, uh, dominoes of pizza or of uh, storytelling yes right. yeah. so, so
1: i, I guess... just know that i've been in some creative writing classes where we've done that activity before and it went haywire where it's like one person <laughs> starts a story and then you take it from there and whatever and even if you have this objective where this is where we need to go like Everyone has wildly different ideas of how you're going to get there. Well, I think you know? the
3: way the acts are written, it sort of puts a little bit of boundary on it saying, hey, this mm-hmm. is this setting. This is where you're at. This is where you have to accomplish if you don't accomplish it. It's B. If you do accomplishment, it's A. Mm-hmm. So I, so I think there's a little bit, there's a little bit of balance put on that. But it's also, it is relying on the players to, to be in good faith to drive the story forward and, and not, not wanting to just go off, veer off into the, the wild bull yonder, mm-hmm. you know, take, start in Massachusetts and end up in the Ohio River Valley.
0: But if everybody's playing together, like to me, that's the, 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 the GMless game, the facilitated game. Those games going off into whatever you're unlike creative writing class where you're like, here's my paragraph. Mm-hmm. like we didn't talk about it. Uh, you're screwed. like yeah. that's that's a different <laughs> uh, thing than if we sat together and talked through that paragraph uh-huh. right and you're and even to to the point of this game where you have someone I'm gonna be writing this time and I'm gonna mm-hmm. make you're gonna put give me input, but I'm gonna make decisions and I'm gonna pass the pin to you yeah. is better than. But in the classic storytelling, uh, storyteller style, the classic game master style, you've got all the control and mm-hmm. you're just saying, well, what do you do? Yeah. And and, and all the it could all work, it could all work. But I just feel like that would be my problem with this game is I just to me, I would just run it open table or like you were saying, I would run it. I'm the game master yeah. and and then I'm going to just keep track of which branches we're going to take. Either way, but this this mushy middle ground just
3: yeah. No, see, and that's of, I kind of thought about that as I was as I was taking my second read through today earlier today. I thought uh, I should uh, I should let Richard look at my copy of this just because I know you've played a lot of storytelling games and we'll would probably have some you know some thoughts about. A, you know how how would this would run as written? You know, or what are the most hackable uh, portions of it, and how you would run it? I think, but to your point, one of the things with the lead storyteller, and I also to Ashley's point, is that. Their thing is basically to prevent people from overwriting and, and negating people's narratives. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, you just had a several paragraph narrative. It's like the lead storyteller saying, hey, that's not advancing the story. You're reversing the story or, or racing. So there's a little bit, you know, of that creative writing type of, mm-hmm. you know, guidance. So I, I'm kind of you know I was sort of skeptical when I first read this but during the second read through I, I guess my curiosity's peak but but again I guess to my, to my first comment definitely would be wanting to pick the players that to play this with just people that most of the gamers I know are just not that into storytelling games and especially ones that are that seem so loosely defined as this one does.
2: So how did they how did they uh, get you hooked? how did you come across this game that I'm a history I'm a, nerd, oh, okay. and I
3: th- and I get the impression from from the way he writes and some of the uh the verbiage you use, uh, Aaron Huss is also a history nerd and a, and a folklore nerd. You know, I think I got to learn some new words here. Uh, you know, doing this, I you know, over the past couple of weeks, three new words: philomath, which is one of the personalities; syncretism, which is basically about religions combining religions and having an overlap and then the third is uh, panopticon but that's from uh, that was uh, from an uh, unrelated conversation with uh, Brendan.
2: kids uh, could, could you play the game if you're not a historian? I mean if you're
3: uh, yes if you're
0: into
2: folklore. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh so uh thanks for the interview. Also if I cannot edit if I cannot edit this out, these springs are from new uh, mic stands, <laughs> so I'm gonna try and get rid of those. But if you you won't hear this, if you uh, I'm it.
3: part Italian, I wave my hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I have the same problem. So, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, so thanks for the interview. Or, uh, uh, I've been doing so many interviews. You should. Be, we're all listening to a lot of our bonus episodes, right? So yeah. I'm super excited for the Chuck Tingle that we have dropped yes. uh, in the past for everyone that's hearing this. But uh, really. Uh, Brendan is going to, you know, that that's going to be an uh, excellent interview one way or another. So, uh, <laughs> thanks for the review. We are sponsored by Exalted Funeral.
1: Mm-hmm. Exalted
0: Funeral. Exalted Funeral has good selection of RPGs, Metal and Esoterica. Mm-hmm. You check them out. They, they are always something interesting when I go there. And then... Uh, we would like to thank our patrons over at patreon.com uh, slash uh, Full Metal RPG. Check, uh, check us out and join the uh, the cult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you'd buy us a beer or a, a coffee or a, 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 just a D20. <laughs> it's a dollar for a D20 now, people. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Check it out. Ashley, mm-hmm. where, where can you find us? Where can you get in touch with us?
1: Well, we are on Facebook and the Insta as Full Metal RPG, so if you wanted to check out the social medias. That's where we are at. If you wanted to get in touch with us a little more directly, we have FullMetalRPGOfficial at gmail.com. And we are always on the discord. It's tinyurl.com forward slash full metal discord and uh that's kind of the community we have going where we have all sorts of conversations going on there it's really active that discord it? it is it's the most active one fun. i'm in probably
0: it's a lot of fun and you you will never know who is going to pop up there i mean yep. chuck tingle popped up the other day but yes, he that, did. that was where brendan was doing in his interview you never know who's going to show up at, in the discord neighborhood so <laughs> uh well Thank you very much everybody for for coming to the Arizona Game Fair Warehouse to record another full metal RPG. Thank Rah. You.